This podcast is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and for contact information on publicist Steve Joyner. listening to In a City Like Yours, a semi-monthly podcast featuring interesting people with interesting life stories. This podcast may contain language and or subject matter not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Michael G. Moore. Please visit our website at inacitylikeyours.com. That's I-N-A-C-I-T-Y L-I-K-E-Y-O-U-R-S dot C-O-M for links to our social media, all popular podcast platforms, and links of interest pertaining to all episodes. Here is this week's story. Hi, I'm Sam. I'm calling uh, from Burbank, California. And I'm, my age is, uh, I guess you'd say I'm uh, over 60 but I don't feel it. I feel like I'm under, well under 60, mainly because I have reinvented myself in my declining years as an actor here in Hollywood. We moved here, oh, four years ago. We have two daughters out here and we have three grandchildren out here now. We have four grandchildren on the East Coast, but we didn't want to move to New Jersey or Massachusetts, especially in the winter. But anyway, it's it's great being out here and I wanted to talk a little bit about a uh, something I've been thinking about for a while and other people have brought it up when you um, reach middle age you oftentimes uh, lose your parents especially if your parents uh, had you when they were older than average and I've come to the conclusion that one cannot really be a mature adult until one is able to look at one's parents objectively. Now, your parents can still be alive and for you to look at them objectively. However, most of us carry the childhood burden throughout our adult life that we sort of look at our parents um, in a, I wouldn't say non-judgmentally, but we look at them much as we did when we were much younger, uh, that they can't do anything wrong. And if they do something wrong, we really can't accept it. And, well, I think I've begun to, uh, I've begun to look at both of my parents in an objective way as they were as normal human beings with their problems and foibles and fears and prejudices. And that's allowed me to sort of break the invisible chains that have held me all these years. And I don't think I could have done what I'm doing now if I were still in my 20s and still beholden to 
what I thought my parents would think about what I was doing. Uh, I, was, I was an only child and my father was a very, I guess, domineering type of person. And my mother sort of let him sort of take over. Uh, there wasn't much room there for difference of opinion. And um, I became a lawyer. I went to law school. And this was during the Vietnam War. And it sort of kept me out of uh, draft. However, after my, I guess during my first year of law school, Richard Nixon ingeniously brought in the uh, draft lottery and my number was 329, which means that I was number 329 on the list. My birthday came number 329 on the list of people who would be drafted to be sent to uh, Vietnam. And if you were that high on the list, or, or you would not be, uh, or I guess if you were that low on the list, you would not be going in this. The Vietnamese came over here in their um, bamboo canoes with machine guns we had to defend the shores, which was a pretty, pretty absurd idea anyway. I guess, Michael, you're close to my age. Uh, not that close, but you do you remember the Vietnam War? Yes, I do. I'm I'm 58, so. Oh, you're 58. Yeah, oh, I was okay. a child, so but I, I was old enough to know what was going on, and I remember oh, being sure. on the news every night, so you couldn't miss it. Oh yeah, and that was, and that was a big that was a big event in uh, people's lives, especially guys who were my age and between your age and my age and a little bit older. Because you were not, you were too young to be drafted, but I was perfect draft age, and I had no uh, terrible health problems. I didn't have heel spurs. I didn't know about heel spurs until 20 years later when I actually had them. Uh, and I didn't. Um, I remember I was. At, I took several draft physicals because I was trying to get into uh, Navy or Air Force officer candidate school, but I never did. I was a smart kid in college. However, they ask you all these um, mechanical questions, and I was really bad with that kind of thing. They have all these gears going different directions. You had to, to tell them which direction they were going, and I just couldn't do that. So I was not a candidate for officer candidate school, but I, uh, I remember in the draft physical, um, a doctor asked uh, a kid uh, about his health. He said, yeah, I've got a, I've got a heart problem. I have what we call heartburn. <laughs> that was kind of, I thought that was kind of funny. They had other suggestions of what to do in, to get out of the draft physical. Now, my father claimed that during World War II, he uh, wanted to get into the uh, military because they were, I guess he was in his um, mid-30s when Pearl Harbor was attacked. And he says, and I believed it at the time, that he uh, was not allowed to go in the uh, military because of high blood pressure. However, he, I'm not sure he ever even had high blood pressure. And he told me once sort of slyly, you know, if you want your blood pressure raised, I can. I know what to do. And so I have a feeling he might have done that to himself and then claim he couldn't go in because of high blood pressure. But that's just a uh, uh, thought here. But he also told me, 
and he was always pretending that, or saying, I know pretending I'm saying now, but he was always claiming that although the, he was sort of the grown-up in the family. Their father died when their, uh, my father had two younger brothers. Each one was seven years younger than the one uh, older. So my father was, um, I guess, uh, in his 20s when his, their father died in 1935. And uh, uh, the, my grandfather had a... Uh, a business in New York City he had a factory where they made those boxes you get in grocery stores, you know, the corrugated boxes. And he started from scratch. He, he came over this country uh, with, you know, maybe six dollars. And he had a brother here and he stayed there for a while in New York. And then he, he had a push cart for a while. Then he opened, uh, opened a factory. And he, uh, he also, and this was very rare for the, that period of time, my grandfather had a black business partner and in those days it was very rare for whites and blacks to work together in the same company and much less as partners and this was in new york city he hired this young man as a um, just as a clerk or somebody just an office person and my grandfather noticed this young man was unusually sharp and he said you know I think you ought to be going to night school. And he encouraged this young man to go to night school. And in those days, New York University was a very inexpensive place to go. So he went to New York University and got a business degree. And eventually, this young man became vice president of my grandfather's company. And the man has a um, son. He had one son who was a physics professor who's retired, who lives in Queens, and I've spoken to him on the phone. I'd like to go and meet him. Um, anyway, uh, my father said that when his, when their father died, my grandfather, who died many years before I was ever born, uh, my uh, his next younger brother was in medical school in Scotland. And in those days, they had quotas in universities to keep Jewish people out. They, so I guess they thought we'd, if they let us all in, we'd be, you know, it'd be like what they, they fear about Asian people today. You know, it's a, they, they actually have quotas to hold people back. And so my uncle had to uh, apply overseas. And so he applied to the University of Edinburgh in Scotland and uh, went there. My, my father went to medical school in this country. Uh, because his grades were like so high that there was no way they could keep him out. You know, it would be like saying, you know, if you have a perfect score on your SAT, well, they didn't have SAT scores then, but if you had a perfect score on your SAT and they didn't like you because of your race, color, or creed, they still would have to bring you in because it was just, there's no way they couldn't do otherwise. So my father took the Queen Mary over to uh, England and went up to Scotland and he said that he, he was going to convince his brother to stay in medical school in order and not come back and take over the family business. And then my father took a tour through Europe and France, uh, Italy, Yugoslavia, and then he came back. And I, my father was on the outs with his uh, younger brother for many years. I never met the man until 
my father was very, very old and very ill, and the two brothers came down to Texas to visit him. And then I met uh, my cousin. My uncle had two children, both of whom were doctors, and I um, I never met the boy. I did meet the girl. The girl, of course, she's close to my age. She's, uh, uh, she's a physician in New York, and I told her, you know, I about the story of my father going over to Scotland to keep her brother, her father, uh, in medical school and to encourage him to stay there and not to uh, come back and take over the business. She said, no, that's not the story at all. The story was this. My father came over to Scotland to convince her father, Uncle Norman, to get out of medical school and come back and take over the business. So it was just the opposite of what my father said. And I noticed these little sort of little lies throughout my career as his son. Uh, there were some other things that came up that my father married my mother on the rebound because he had to break up with his girlfriend who his, um, his own mother didn't like. And he actually had his brother, my Uncle Norman, go over to the lady's house to get the ring back from her. He didn't, my dad didn't have the guts to do it. And he used that ring for his own wife uh, when he married his his chosen uh, partner. Uh, then he had a third brother uh, who was much younger and um, there were these inconsistencies and strangeness and, and, and so after meeting my cousins and and going through all this i was able to look at my parents and not say they were villains or anything like that but they were people with great weaknesses as we all are in our own way and um when we came out my wife and i came out to california i felt very drawn to um return to acting which I had done some in Texas back in the 1970s I had finished law school and I wasn't I wasn't made to be a lawyer I I have a son who's a lawyer he really likes it he does uh, intellectual property in New York City he works like a dog but he's good at it and I was never really that good at it and I um, so I was I tried out for a movie that I didn't audition for a movie at the University of Texas they have a radio, TV, and film department. And I was going through some, you know, hard times, and I, I had no training as an actor. So I did. A, I went over there and read the lines, and they liked it. They said, well, we're looking for somebody who's down and out. And this guy, you definitely sound down and out. And um, it was great fun doing this movie. I'd never done anything like that before. And um, it, unfortunately, the movie never got produced because the students made some very serious technical errors in continuance and the professor made them stop production and it actually died on the cutting room floor. They had, in those days they had celluloid film and they would uh, develop it and then look at it and then edit it and they would cut the celluloid and then glue it back together, splice it back together. And so it actually did die in the cutting room. So the only, only thing that survived that film was a still shot 
of myself in uh, cowboy garb drawing a Colt 45 because the character in the movie was a guy who worked in one of those touristy um, uh, sites uh, in Wimberley, Texas where they put on gunfights, uh, fake gunfights for tourists and that was my job. And it was so fun, much fun doing it. I said, I'd like to do this. I even put a resume together. And then I was in another student movie, but I don't know where it ever happened to that. Well, years passed and I um, came out to California and sort of in my back of my mind, I said, I'd like to get into this, but I think I want to start out as an extra because I have no training. I really don't know what to do. And I finally figured out to go online and then you sign up for Central Casting. Central Casting is a great casting agency that provides stand-up, or excuse me, stand-ins and provides uh, background actors for TV shows and for movies and what for whatever. A stand-in is a person who sits in front of the camera while the actor or actress is not there so that they don't have to be in front of the camera when they're not, they're not being filmed. Um, so I um, signed up, and it's a great thing to do. It's totally free of charge, and and the good thing is that Central Casting is located in Burbank. It was just about a mile from my house. I walked over there, and I signed up and started getting roles, and it was in some interesting TV shows like Scandal and the show about LBJ got all the way with... Um, Cranston, and um, it was some Hand of God, and then there's a lot of small shows, and generally, uh, I had a great deal of fun with that, but then I went to a seminar over at Central Casting, and one of the uh, leaders of the seminar, who was a casting director and an actor, he said, you know, you guys are really actors, you should take acting lessons, so you would get better jobs. And the people appreciate you more and think you're more serious. And he suggested that we look at Steve Easton. Steve Easton is a character actor. He's a 45-year veteran. And he has a studio in Burbank. Uh, and his approach is totally different from what most of the approaches that other acting teachers take. Uh, I won't get into the details, but uh, it was it's a very very interesting way of approaching the script and I started taking classes there and that was in June of 2015 and I've been going there every week since then and I'll be going there this week every Wednesday night or if you don't miss the Wednesday night class you can go on Tuesday or Thursday uh, morning and my kids thought that was interesting and they bought me headshots for Father's Day in 2015. Uh, they have a friend who's a director who also is a photographer and they uh, put some money together and I went over to his uh, studio slash house and posed for headshots uh, and joined some of the uh, websites where for actors. They're called Breakdown Services. Uh, there were a number of them, and uh, uploaded my headshots. I didn't have much uh, experience for a resume. Uh, I, 
they discourage you putting on background work if you want to be a principal actor at a speaking for speaking parts. So I um, I put on what I had, and eventually I started uh, auditioning and getting parts, uh, small parts, uh, bigger parts, and it's been that way for the past four years. Um, I joined the union, the Screen Actors Guild, in May, and I have a, a manager and an agent. And but most of my roles have been self-submitted, or I've been contacted by filmmakers who um, saw my reel. A reel is a, a a short video of excerpts of your work. So I have two. I have a a um, dramatic reel and a comedy reel and they're only two minutes long each and they give you a few seconds of your work and this is what you do and you have your um, pictures on the website you sometimes you have a uh, a slating picture where you have yourself saying hi i'm so and so and 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 then then they uh they can um download your um headshot um and I'm looking at my resume right now, and my manager got it into shape. It looks really good. I sent it to you, I think, yesterday, or did I not? Yeah, not, yeah you, you sent it to me. Okay, and I'm looking at the uh, film. It says film, television. Um, I think I have about 11 feature films that will be either coming out this year or next year. Some of them, they're in what they call post-production. After the uh, it's pre-production where they do all the planning, getting locations, getting the actors, getting the crew, then the production where they actually do the filming, and then post-production when they edit and get the color correction, the sound correction. In these three stages, the most difficult is the post-production where they have to go through all the footage and choose which take to use. So if you do. Um, you're sitting having a conversation in your scene they might do several takes of it you know two three four sometimes ten takes and from different angles so the director will look at each or the editor will look at each take and work with the edit the director and choose the uh combination of takes that they want to use for the for that scene so when you see a movie you might see you see uh, one minute of a scene in a movie, you might be seeing 20, 30 different takes edited together. And that's the way it works. But I'm, uh, I was lucky enough to have leading roles in two of these. One is called Somerset, a science fiction drama. The other is called Illusions, which is a sort of a fantasy comedy then there's one called uh, the fallen crest or also called the french cowboy i played a uh, a villainous cowboy in there i actually tried out for this gabby hayes sort of character if you remember uh, roy rogers had a sidekick named gabby hayes this sort of old crotchety guy with a beard and i got i did the audition for it then got the role and then they said oh we made a mistake we wanted somebody young older than you and so they chose somebody actually 10 years 
my junior, but he looks older. But they gave me a chance to audition for another role uh, for a sort of campy vil villain named Wilson. So I did that, and there was just one scene, but I got to the uh, set, and it ended up being five scenes uh, filmed over a couple of months period. It's an independent film on a low budget. You might go back and forth many times to before you complete it. Um, then there's one called Sid's Lake, where I play a psychiatrist. It's sort of a science fiction movie. Uh, this is called Broken Together, which I'm not sure what it is, but it, it's, uh, it's I guess it's an art film. Uh, uh, I play another doctor there. Um, Treasure of Pennsylvania, where I play the sidekick to the main character. We're filming out in the desert out on Highway 66. Uh, Route 66 cuts through California, and it's in the middle of the desert. There's a gas station there, and, a, and actually a ghost town because it used to be a big, uh, a, a very thriving town during the days when Route 66 was um, an active highway. Now they have Highway 10 cutting across the country, and Route 66 is just a minor road. Um, the Cry, which is a uh, spy thriller in black and white, um, I play the head of the agency there, and then there's Wade in the Water. That's an interesting one where it play, it's about a um, man who murders a child molesting minister and why he murders him and the friendship he forms with the dead minister's daughter is the heart of this movie. I, I auditioned for the role of the father of one of the victims of this molesting minister and then they said I, we think you'd be better as the child molester himself and eventually I've been in like three movies that were showing in festivals in May in which I played a child molester it's kind of strange and uh, but I guess they wanted somebody who looked trustworthy but could also look, be kind of uh, evil and mean uh, sort of those are roles I kind of like. You said um, you said you you've been in three films as a child molester. Like, yeah, I didn't I didn't do any molesting in the movies. I, I in this movie, Wade in the Water. I'm actually I don't really say anything. I appear a few times, and he shoots me in the and he breaks into my house and shoots me. So I disappear early in the film, but in the other ones, I play a um, I play a coach who has. Uh, who likes his girl students a little more than he should, and I, nothing happened there. It was it was more of a um, I wouldn't say a documentary, but it, it was like a docu drama, and there was no word no words in it except the narration. And the third one, I'm trying to I'm having a senior moment here. I can't exactly remember what it is, but I. Uh, I know there was a third one in which I played that, that kind of unsavory character. But there's one called Flight of the Sparrow, which is in post-production now. It started out as a long, short film, but they've expanded it into a, uh, a full-length feature. It is a story about a young black girl in Georgia, in rural Georgia in the 1950s. 
and the young girl has grown into a uh, very uh, very interesting and educated woman and she was on the set with us because I think they interview as part interview her as part of the film but I play the lawyer a very wealthy lawyer who sort of owns the town and who is also a bootlegger and so I'm selling moonshine and my business partner is a uh, black young man who's also the father of the young girl about which the movie is made and let's see here um, there's a one called Genesis the future of mankind is woman now I play a sleazy congressman being interviewed it's a sort of a parody uh, dream sequence movie um, and I think that it'll be a big hit when it comes out and finally I've been in a lot of short films um, the one that my manager wanted to keep on my resume is Rolling in the Deep. It's about a young black soldier returning from the war in World War II to a uh, town in uh, South Carolina. He goes into a cafe or a diner, which is it's plainly written on the window, whites only. And while he goes in there and what happens in that in that visit is the heart of this film i play the owner of the um diner and um the, the um, film has been winning award after award we've gotten ensemble awards for the acting team and ensemble award for acting is that the entire crew or the entire acting team is awarded for the uh, effort and we are standing now for another award uh, in the in the called the call it's called the ICU award I S E E Y O U awards in Detroit both as ensemble but I'm also happy that I've, I've been nominated for best actor in a, a supporting role in a short film and all the other actors in this film uh, the main actors have also been nominated for their roles the best actress in a uh, supporting role and the best lead the young man who, who plays the soldier is um, he's already been awarded best actor in a short in other festivals but in this festival he's also nominated for best actor best uh, lead in a short film and that's it there's another uh, I was in a um, pilot last year for a drama and you do a lot of pilots what they call pilot season I think it's in the spring with a lot of uh, most of these pilots will never see the light of day but I was lucky enough to be in a pilot that's been take, picked up by a network I can't say which network I can't say anything about the pilot but I think we'll be filming pretty soon it's a drama and uh, it's, it's going to be very interesting um there are a number of little um, uh, comedy um, videos I've been in, like one called Sides, one's called Spin the Wheel, and these are uh, uh, one's called uh, um, Five Awkward People You're Likely to Meet at Thanksgiving. And these are very funny things, and I, I enjoyed making them. People seem to enjoy watching them. Um, 
I've also been on these shows like To Tell the Truth. I'll be appearing, I think, in the first week of the first Sunday of September. It'll be episode number 11. And I got to be on that show twice in that episode because after you do your do your piece with three with two two imposters and the real person the surviving um, imposters face off for another uh, round with the um, celebrity panel and that's it's a fun it's a fun show it's a, lot, it's a lot more interesting now than it was when I was a kid did you ever watch to tell the truth when you were young I did yeah, well, now it's really fun. I mean, it's like the audience sings. The uh, the master of ceremony has his mother sitting there, sort of telling people what to do. It's it's really fun. Um, but anyway, that's that sort of covers what I've been doing. A bunch of other stuff on my resume that I could talk about. But uh, well, let's, this, let's, uh, let me ask you ahead. this: uh, how, Yeah, how old were you when you began acting? I was in my sixties. I started in my. Uh, in my mid 60s so did you have any experience in perhaps uh, community theater well let me see i i back in austin when we lived there at a law school i was i i was given a part in media by one of my clients at the austin women's theater and i played the slave announcing that uh to jason that media wasn't the best babysitter in the world you know what i mean um and that was it. I, back in high school, I was in a, uh, um, a Spanish club comedy that someone wrote. It was really, really funny, and I had a great time doing it. And people were rolling in the aisles, and I should have taken a hint then that I, you know the uh, ability to do this in front of an audience and the and the joy I got from their reaction should have been a hint of what I should be doing. On the other hand. Um, going the route I've gone I have a wonderful wife I have four wonderful kids and I have seven grandchildren so the none of this would have happened if I you know sort of followed my bliss at that time I guess it's easier to follow your bliss when you've already got your bills paid and you don't have to go to work for a living you know what I mean howdy it's Matt Gwen here popping in to let you know about the adventures of the albino rhino it's a show uh Frank the Giraffe here, my co-host, James Godwin, and myself put on for you guys twice a week. Uh, every Wednesday, we talk to a comedian, and every Friday, we call it Freaky Friday. The show itself is not safe for work, and that freak is definitely a different word. I just don't know what podcast you're going to be listening to this promo on, and I don't want to, uh, you know, start screaming explicatives while you're sitting in your office. If you're lucky enough to have been able to go back to the work that you did before inside of an office or whatever, you know, but we go on a, an adventure twice a week and it's a good time because we get to sit down and talk to some really cool people. Uh, and I enjoy it because, you know, I'm just curious little albino who uh, likes to get to know folks, you know? You can find us a couple ways, actually multiple ways, really. Man, there's a lot of different ways to find us. You can find us through our central hub, which is www.albinorhino.me. It's the website you can find me on. And then, you know, the podcast, you can find the videos on YouTube. Search for Adventures of the Albino Rhino. Also linkable from our website. And you can also find us through Anchor, Breaker, 
Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Radio Public, and Spotify. That's right. We're on the same place Joe Rogan is. Granted, we're not we're not the Joe Rogan experience, but you know what I mean? We're there. We're there. So give us a listen. Promise you won't be promise you won't be dissatisfied. And enjoy your day. What advice would you give other uh, let's say people our age uh, who are thinking about getting involved in uh, the film industry? Okay. Well, you don't have to be in Hollywood anymore. You can be in New, New Orleans, Baton Rouge, Houston, um, Atlanta, Miami. There are opportunities to audition for television, for drama. Whatever you want to do, it's possible to do. If you have a, um, a computer, you sign up with some of the breakdown services like Actors Access. You subscribe to them. You, Actors Access, uh, LA Casting, uh, Casting Frontier, Backstage. Backstage is a magazine, but they also have a website. And what you do, you, uh, you subscribe, you write down your profile, you get some headshots, professional headshots, not just just not three by fives that your uh, you know kids take. It has to be really good pictures, not to show how handsome or pretty you are. That's not the point at all. Although you see a lot of headshot photographers here who show uh, you know if you're a lot of half the half the people in L.A. are young and hot. If you're old and cold, you need more than that. So they need to show how you will appear on camera. And so they need to be able to draw out your personality into the picture so that the casting director will see that. And when you go in there, you'll look like the picture. That's important too. They can't do, do too much airbrushing and all that stuff. Uh, then you uh, try it out. You, you can look on Craigslist. I think they have calls for the acting then you, you're not going to get rich doing this right away i mean you know unless you're the one out of a million who does but uh it's i found it to be easier than i thought it would be and out here in los angeles where there are a jillion film schools and you should take advantage of the fact wherever you are i'm sure that in uh shreveport or uh there's a college there they have a film department I'm sure that in uh, all over Louisiana there are colleges with film departments now. So try out for these student films. They need people who are uh, mature because so many student films have people who are 25 disguised as somebody who's 45. It just doesn't work out that way, you know. It's you bring quality and uh, depth and nuance to the uh, film, and they really appreciate that. Um, it's easier than you think is important because you hear all the time it's not who you know it's not what you know it's who you know and it's good to have friends in high places i have i have some cousins who are big producers and actors and i've got a contact uh, if i wanted to exploit it with a major director but i don't do that because they get annoyed by being constantly harassed by distant relatives or distant friends but i think that the best thing is it's easier than you think if you work hard have stick to it you go to an audition 
don't show that you're nervous. You go in there, you don't look like you like uh, you, try, you're trying to make them like you. You go in there saying, you have a problem, I have the solution. What I do, I take my classes, I, I try to master dialogue. That's the heart of getting a job as an actor, be able to handle dialogue. I go to auditions, I submit, my, I submit myself, I, my agent submits me, you don't need an agent, especially you won't have an agent until you are able to command a bigger income. Um, but you do your audition, you uh, do the best you can, you say thank you and you leave. You don't smile, you don't give any indication that you really care that much whether you get the job or not. Because after you, the audition, what I always do, I rub my hands together and I throw away the sides, the sides of the portion of the script that you have for the audition. And sometimes you can do a cold reading, and there's, there are skills associated with a, a, an effective cold reading, or you can memorize the lines, but you always have your sides in your hand when you're at the audition. Well, I, I, throw the, I throw the sides away. I said, if they want me, they'll be able to get me. Uh, and you just move on to the next one. It's, it's always move on, and the longevity it pays off. If you do this enough times, you will get hired, and you will be able to impress somebody. If you are good at what you're doing, you'll be able to impress people, and they'll want you back if you're easy to work with. If you're hard to work with and a pain, and a pain they're not going to want to deal with you anymore. But just be polite. I think Spencer Tracy said that the art of doing of acting is to learn your lines, get there on time, and don't bump into the furniture. Essentially, just another thing that people say is just let yourself alone. You don't over dramatize. Do you ever see the movie uh, The Door? No, I haven't. It's by a guy named Timoth Tim. Oh God, I can't remember his name. It's it's a cult classic. The door, and it's—I'm sorry, not the door. It's called the room. The room. R O O M. Heard of that? But I haven't yeah. seen it. Isn't that Tommy to be, was be really bad, but it's like, but it's so good yes. because of it. Yeah. Okay. Y yes, they made a movie about it called the. Uh, oh God! Oh, I'm really bad at remembering things today. I think James Castro. Uh, Castro. I mean, uh, no, James Franco made a movie about this movie. Um, it is so bad in that the all the actors are overacting. Everybody's a bad actor except one person, the lady who plays the girlfriend's mother. She's fairly good, but everybody else is like, oh, God, they're so dramatic. And what they do, they don't, they don't leave themselves alone. In other words, they, they don't talk the way they would talk in a normal conversation. They... They up it a they up it a bit, and it's. I don't think it's on purpose. I think it's it's really unskilled, but that's just my opinion. But it's a cult classic, and you can get it on Netflix. Anyway, um, what does that have to do with anything? That's it's called overacting. Um, good acting is not even noticeable, but bad acting really stands out. You can really notice it right away, and you don't have to be an expert to notice it. There's something about it you can tell.